Let's begin by all joining together in praying. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. Once you've been in the Bible long enough, I know that you are going to get frustrated with how people treated Jesus. I mean, he healed somebody from demons, and then the whole town chased him away and pushed him out. His preaching was real and honest and open, and more than anything else, just trying to tell people that he really was God's son, come to save, come to forgive them. And a lot of people rejected him. Some people even called him demon crazy for saying what he said. Think about how Jesus lived a perfect life in a world full of sinners with sin all around him and sin messed up interactions. And he showed grace to people every moment of every day, absolutely people who did not deserve it. And still those people were jerks to him. It does not look right how people interacted with Jesus. So maybe this thought has kind of stayed below the surface for you, and you didn't actually say this out loud yet. Or maybe you did let the frustrations boil over when you were reading, and the words just spilled out like, that's messed up. But I can feel pretty confident in thinking that in those times, you probably wish Jesus would stop holding back and just let the people have what they deserve. You can admit that. That's okay. A part of you really wanted to see the bold and strong and decisive Jesus to show himself more. I think, I think there's a part of you that really wanted to be like two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, if you know the Bible. Maybe you remember this one. How they wanted Jesus to show himself and to lay the smack down and to use his power to kill and destroy his enemies in a very visible way. Sometimes when you know Jesus and how people interact with Jesus, you want that Jesus more than anything else. Well, if that's been you, then today is a pretty great day to be here, right? Because you didn't just see this quiet and humble son of God make his way into the temple during the week that he was going to die. No, you and all the other people Everybody nearby would have heard who Jesus was. Tables flipped over. Money crashing onto the ground. Loud cracks of a whip as he's driving animals out and they're calling out from getting hit. I mean, Jesus has never been a pushover, but this Jesus feels a little bit different. So what was different? Why isn't Jesus holding back today? Why the change in tactic with people? Well, because Jesus was trying to teach people that this place where he was and the things that were supposed to be going on in this place were too important for distractions. Where he was wasn't about making money. Where he was wasn't about outward signs and symbols 
It was about what God had going on inside of people here. And Jesus shows this side of himself because at that time, temple worship life was messed up. And this was going to be a wake-up call that if people wanted to be good with God and worship God rightly, they were going to need to change what they were doing. You guys do not have to worry. I am not going to be flipping tables. I'm not going to be yelling. But today might really also be a wake-up call for you. And Jesus isn't going to hold any punches. No, today we are going through the Ten Commandments. We're going to walk through God's moral standards for how Christians should be living all of our lives. We are going to try to better understand what worship is and just how much worship covers for us. It's going to be a lot, but it's going to be good. Here's how worship life started with God's Old Testament people as he laid out the law for Moses on top of Mount Sinai. This is how he starts. Do you remember? And God spoke all these words first by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you know this? The commandments actually kick off with a reminder of where they were coming from just three months ago. Their past life of slavery and abuse. In Egypt, they were treated like animals. They were being worked literally to death. The people there thought nothing of them. So for generations before this, God's people had been praying and asking for his help. So he did. He sent Moses, and then he backed Moses up with, do you remember the signs of the ten plagues? After that, in a pillar of cloud and smoke, he personally led them out and personally protected them from an entire army chasing after them. Walls of water he had stand up so that the people could walk through. And then those same walls crashed back down to get rid of the army so that there was nobody left who wanted to hurt them. I mean, who is telling them his plan for their lives? That God, the Lord, their God, who had just rescued them and saved them. After an experience like that, you'd probably expect that things would just come naturally, that worship would just happen. But God keeps going because he wants to specify what worship looks like. First thing, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Because the Lord wasn't just like the best in all the higher powers and gods that are around. No, there's no list. There's no ranking. It's just him and his all-powerful ability. And since he just used his all-powerful ability to save them, he's demanding that he be their only God. If they didn't get it yet, worshiping him, you heard, it also meant not forming with their own hands something to represent God, like the sun above or the moon or the stars or animals or fish or anything like that. Nothing that they could create with their own hands. Why? Because God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
God does not pull any punches. God does not think that it's, it's okay to be worshiping him and something else. No, it's either him as savior, him as best, or get ready for the long-lasting effects of rejecting him. With all of that then, how should the people respond? How should they live for him? Then we get into the list that you probably remember and know well, right? Honor his name. Remember his day for spiritual rest. Obey the ones that he puts in charge over you. Protect life. Respect marriage and God's gift of sex. Take care of the earthly things that he's given you. Be content with the life God has given. Speak honestly. Also know when to be quiet and not to speak. The Ten Commandments are this really cool summary of how God tells us what life should be and how people should obey. And this was their way of showing that God was worth something to them. You know, very obviously, though, the Ten Commandments are not every single thing in every situation for Christians and how we should live. But it's a really good way for you and I to, to look at that list and to start thinking, are we doing what God calls us to do and showing him his worth to us? Or are we drifting away? Are we getting into spiritual trouble? It's a really good test. Do you know your body is a warning system test built into it? It's really cool. You don't even have to think about it. It doesn't have to be going through your brain at all. But if you stop drinking water, your body lets you know really fast. First, you get this feeling that you just need water, right? You really, really need water. And getting water and having water come into your body, that's the only thing that you focus on, how and when that can happen. Getting water kind of takes over life. That's step number one. Step number two, if you don't get water while you're still feeling that, then your body moves and turns into conservation mode where it starts to hold in all the water that it can possibly hold in, and that really messes with your kidneys. Stay away from water long enough in stage two, and your kidneys start to shut down, and that starts to mess with a whole lot of other things going on too. Step three, if you've done that long enough, then pretty much everything else in your body starts telling you, this isn't right, this isn't okay. Your brain literally starts shrinking because you don't have enough blood flow. Your energy and mood just take a nosedive. You start to feel pain in joints that you haven't injured that have never felt that way before. You've got pounding headaches. You feel hungry even if you're eating food. Your skin turns grayish blue. So much that after three to five days, somewhere in that range, if you're not drinking any water, you're in danger of fainting and strokes, and death. Don't drink water. Don't get the thing that you need to live. And I promise you, your body is going to tell you in every single way that you need to get more of this thing that you need. You can really think of this week and what we're talking about today. This is Jesus' worship gauge for you to try to help you think through if you are in spiritual trouble. 
Because you're, if you're missing what worship is, if you don't see worship as a place to find out how much he's done for you, if you don't see worship as an important need so that you can live for him, you're in trouble right now. Being in this room or watching at home, this is not enough. Saying words on autopilot, which you can probably do, that's not going to help. Thinking that worship should center around you and your likes and dislikes, I mean, these are warning signs that you are missing the heart of what worship is. Firstly, it's all about how much God has done for you. The other side is really true, though, too, and it's another warning sign. If you think that you can get by in your Christian life without being fed in worship, you're missing it. I mean, think about the kids' devotion. It's really open and obvious and clear. If you have an empty cup and you try to pour something out, guess what comes out? Nothing. If that's the life you're trying to live, you're going to be burned out as a Christian. All of this then turns into something that you despise doing and ignoring your clear need for his help to help you in your Christian life. That's going to be a bad mistake too. So let's not miss out on what God is warning and guiding you to understand about worship. You see, you need worship to be Jesus-centered worship. And when you're connected to that, then you can be what God wants you to be. That is, firstly, people who know how much God values you. People who know your worth to him. And where do you see that in worship? I mean, first, the very middle of our church, up in front, the cross, where Jesus died for our sins, where Jesus won our forgiveness, where Jesus took all of those things away, we were worth that to God. You see it in your baptism and when you remember your baptism and how God washed you clean and God adopted you into his family so that it's not a sort of or a maybe, but a continual relationship because you're connected to him and nothing can break that connection. You see it as we confess our sins and we hear God speak and God say that you are forgiven because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. You find your worth to God when he gives you his body and his blood in the Lord's Supper for you, for forgiveness, to assure you and strengthen your faith. Worship, firstly, is all about God showing you how much you are worth to him. And the truth is, you are the most valuable thing that there can ever be. But that's not it. True worship, it's really cool. It's also something that you get to participate in and you get to reveal his worth to you. Because you, you do. You sacrifice sleep and hobbies and time to be here. You sing songs that are really just echoes of his word and what he teaches us in his word. You stand to honor Jesus at times. You pool financial resources to keep each other and to reach out into our community with Jesus. You pray together. You meet the new people that are here and you actually care about those new people and try to learn their names. You start your week for him here. And then you keep going and you try to live, obeying his commands. And you, you try to keep worshiping like he deserves 
every day after this, worship also reveals how much he is going to be worth to you. Can I reveal something to you as your pastor? I love you. Know that I love you. I'm always going to love you. But Mondays feel like a bit of a drag for me. Because some of you know this, I'm an introvert, and we interact a lot on Sundays. Sundays are also this week's worth of work that get packed into just a few hours and a few minutes. So much so that I aim for as many interactions as I can possibly get. As many prayer details that I can learn so I can pray for you specifically this week. As much Jesus to as many people as possible all the time that we're here. So Sundays kind of feel like for me a little bit too full sometimes so that as the door is being locked and as we're saying our last goodbyes, I head home to start a new week feeling physically and emotionally just drained. And it took only a year and a half for me to do it, but this last week I finally got to do something that I've been wanting to do so that Mondays would go a little bit better for me. I took a really long bike ride. It was cool. It was just me and my bike and my earbuds in. And if you remember Monday, it was pretty great weather in the afternoon too. And miles on a butt trail that I got to go and explore and enjoy. Which meant physically and emotionally for me, it was a much better Monday. But there was something else that happened as I was doing that and being fed physically and emotionally. Do you want to help me the most on Monday? listening to a sermon from another pastor. Then thinking and going back through what did we talk about the day before. How awesome that was. How important that was for me. How important that was for us. And then saying prayers to God that God would help me understand more and more of what he has done for me and the blessings of worship for me. And then how I could start to see better what worship is. In other words, it's time for us to start seeing worship as the highlight and the peak of our weeks. Not just something we do on Sundays. Not what you do because your family's here and they brought you here. No, worship is where God is going to fill you so full of Jesus' forgiveness. Worship is the first way that you're going to know how much God says you're worth to him. Worship on Sundays is going to be this tone-setting experience so that for the six and a half days after this of your week, it's going to echo back through your head and your heart what we do here. Worship first is letting God know how much you are worth to him and then trying to reflect back his worth to you and how you live. Feel like you need to change to be a little bit more like that? That's okay if that's where you're at this morning. Because remember where we started? With Jesus showing us that he is serious about worship. And he'll be serious about helping you get there too. Remember tables flipped over, people driven out, coins crashing. He's not a pushover. He is the firm, strong, and decisive Jesus for you. And he's going to work through you too. You're not alone in all this. He's going to keep clearing out your minds and your hearts to make your entire life's focus now and every moment after this 
your worth to him and his worth to you. That's worship, and that's worthwhile. Amen.